You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today's episode of the show is going to be on the win, the blowout win. And the much-needed blowout win. This was a game, uh, you know, over the, over the Chicago Bulls, a not-very-good team, a tanking team, a team that somehow stumbled into a couple wins over the last month. They were the worst team in the NBA. They went, like, on a little little streak there where they won too many, and now they're, like, the seventh-best team, which can hurt them, I feel, uh, pretty bad. But the Nuggets blew them out, and they needed this game. You know, looking at the schedule, this is the last easy game on the Nuggets' schedule. There's not a single easy game. At the end of the year, at Minnesota, there's a chance Minnesota is like locked into seeding and doesn't have to play that game, so maybe that'll be the easiest one. But outside of that, this was the last easy game, and Denver did exactly what they were supposed to do. They dominated from the tip, uh, 135 to 102. Only a third in a game that wasn't that close. It's funny; it was a 33-point win, but it didn't feel like that. The Nuggets had a 46-point lead at one point, um, and even at halftime. You never want to say a game is out of reach with this Denver Nuggets because we know they've blown so many games this year. When they, I mean, they blew a 26-point lead in a single quarter. But this was one that it just felt like the Nuggets were much more in control. So I want to get to the notes on that. And then later on in the show, I'm going to close by talking about what the Nuggets have to do record-wise from here on out. Spoiler alert, they've got to win a lot of games and not lose very many at all. And then I'm just going to rank kind of the last 10 games on their schedule from easiest to most difficult. And I think it'll be kind of eye-opening for Nuggets fans to see they're all difficult. It's just like varying degrees of difficulty. But let's start by getting into this. And, and if you've ever li- never listened to the show before, I like to provide notes. I don't like to provide just a recap of the game. Uh, I'd rather just kind of share what I saw in, in the game and, and some of the things that were most interesting to me. And I'll start with Paul Millsap absolutely cooking. This was probably his best game since returning from the injury, certainly the best offensive game that he's had. He shot eight of nine from the field. He finished with 22 points, eight rebounds, three assists, five steals, one block. I mean, he, that's a, he filled up the entire stat sheet. Um, he was a plus 34. The, only Wilson Chandler was higher than him, but plus 34, I think, at that point, we're splitting hairs. Um, he missed one shot from the field and one free throw. Otherwise, he was just absolutely uh, dominant in this game, and it was good to see, you know, I still don't feel like the Nuggets are – one of the things I'll talk about in this game is that I, as great as the offense was, the Nuggets have great offensive players. And there was, the ball was popping. There was some, you know, 34 assists. Not not too many teams can put up that kind of assist total, but the Nuggets can. Um, so the offense was really, really good. And I think the offensive rating for this game was like 138. I still think that th- that's only flashes of, of kind of seeing the Nuggets' potential. This was as much to do with Chicago being absolutely terrible and not having – anybody in their front court <clears throat> but it's still good to see just some of the skill set that Paul Millsap has he is so good at these like awkward looking shots and and footwork moves and he just I've watched him enough now to know that those shots are really good and, and going in but they always look like oh he he you know he didn't get a clean look at it but that, that's actually just his moves he's got a very off rhythm kind of post game to him that that really really works and he's got great touch for a guy his size he has incredible touch he had the shot going and he had his post-ups going the team did a good job of feeding him I thought he did I thought he had a couple of really nice passes too um I'm surprised he only had three assists in the assist column because he had much much 
more, you know, gr- many more great passes than than just three. So it was good to see. You got to see Paul Millsap and what he can kind of bring to the table. Not that Nuggets fans don't know. I mean, I, that we've seen enough of him already. But this was a game where you see, like, wow, he can absolutely dominate and abuse whoever's trying to guard him. For tonight, most of that was Paul Zipser. <laughs> Again, not exactly a name that rips out. But he absolutely abused whoever tried to guard him. Um, and it was it, it was really, really cool to see a, a big Paul Millsap game. The other story is Nikola Jokic, who was cooking also. The bigs, to really show you how depleted the front court was for Chicago, but also how on fire the front court was for the Nuggets, Millsap shoots 88.9%. Jokic shoots 82%. 9 for 11 from the field, um, 2 for 2 from the three-point line. Jokic is shot, by the way. He's shooting like 50% um, from three in 2018. He just He's found his three-pointer, not just found it, but... Uh, he it's funny when he go when he goes into funks because you see him when he's not in a funk and it just feels like he goes in every time he's such a great three-point shooter when he decides to shoot it nine for 11 two for two one for one from the free throw line 21 points seven rebounds five assists and all of that in just 24 minutes under 24 minutes um a plus 18 again Jokic the lowest plus minus of all of the starters at plus 18 just to kind of show you what kind of game this was an absolute uh butt kicking and the story really for him was that this was a homecoming um, because, as we've known covering the Nuggets, is the city of Chicago has a very big uh, Serbian population. And and we found this out, I think, two years ago, but really last year when Denver went to Chicago, Nikola Jokic dropped a triple-double in Chicago. Um, just that the Nuggets, there's, there's a huge Nikola Jokic fan base there. Tonight, a, uh, a Serbian group uh like community group in chicago got together and there was over 500 fans um serbian fans there to cheer him on and they were loud you could hear them on the broadcast uh chris dempsey gina mizell who were there even the broadcast crew chris marlowe and scott hastings talked about how loud they were and every time Jokic touched the ball or scored they just would go crazy you could see them on the broadcast there with their Serbian flags, and it was just so cool. I got to say, Jokic, after the game, talked about how much it means to him. I think he knew going into this game that there was going to be just a ton of Serbians. He spends a ton of time with them after the game, and there were some cool storylines. I highly encourage you to listen to Gina My- or read Gina Mizell's, uh Gamer from last night because she had some really cool stuff about you know just the Serbian interaction and what that meant. You can find her stuff at the Denver Post. Um so it was really, really cool, and it's like a homecoming game for him. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jokic played so well tonight because of the crowd and the support that he had, but also because of the the awful opponents he was going against. So it just made for a fun night for him, and, and it was cool to see. At what point do we get nervous about Jokic going to Chicago in free agency in a couple years? I mean, um, I don't obviously Jokic I think is going to be with the Nuggets for at least the next four or five years but um, I think you know it's one of those things that he's going to go to Chicago it it clearly means so much to him there's not like a ton of Serbians at the games here in Denver Um, you know I don't I don't know that there might be a a a decent Serbian following but uh, you know here in Denver but just not nothing that compares to Chicago just a much bigger city much more multicultural city so um I honestly had the thought to the game, like, oh, man, imagine him playing there and just how happy he would be to have this, like, giant Serbian contingent. Like, uh, the the Denver Nuggets as an organization need to, like, get as many Serbian fans courtside and, 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 and cheering him on for the next four or five years so that he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't want to run off to, like, Milwaukee or Chicago.
This game is also a homecoming for Wilson Chandler of, shor- of sorts. People probably don't know this, but uh, Wilson grew up in Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is only about an hour and a half, two hours away from uh, Chicago. It's actually closer to Chicago than it is Detroit, and it's just across the lake. I mean, if you imagine Chicago on one side of the lake, uh, Benton Harbor on the other. So the way the crow flies, it's only like 40 miles. I don't know what it actually I'm, I'm probably going to make a fool of myself guessing here, but probably like 40 miles looking at a map, just a couple of inches according to the map. So I imagine that Wilson Chandler probably had some, you know, family and friends in town for this game as well. And as I mentioned, he was a team high plus 37. And I thought he had a great game as well. 19 points, 6 of 9 shooting, 5 of 7 from behind the three-point arc. So 19 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, 1 block. And he's just been so good over this um it's funny, I talked on, yesterday I did the 10 on 10, which if you don't keep up with the Nuggets and you don't keep up with the show every day, I, yesterday's episode is the one I, I recommend the most. The 10 and 10 episodes always catch you up on the latest trends with the Nuggets. It's the 10 most important players over the last 10 games. And I talked about Wilson and how this was probably his individual best 10 games of the entire season, but how he was mysteriously a minus uh, a negative, um, the biggest negative overall on the team, just statistically. Well, this is why 10-game sample sizes are kind of funny because as a plus 37 tonight, he's probably now like one of the highest plus minuses. When you have one game that is so overwhelmingly in one direction like this, it really messes with the sample sizes, or, or, or I'm sorry, with the plus minuses. So plus 37, that's like being minus 10 for four straight games. You know, it cancels all that out just to kind of put that in perspective. So, um, But he had a great game uh, again tonight, and it was kind of cool. I know... Jokic will still the uh, the spotlight because of the homecoming, quote-unquote, for him with the Serbians, but it really is a homecoming for uh, Wilson as well. Um, Devin Harris, I thought, was a big storyline tonight because he hasn't – he's starting to come out. I feel like the last two or three games he's really been having – maybe four games – um, he started to play better and better, and I wonder how much of that just coincides with Jokic playing more and more with the bench. Jokic now comes out at the six-minute mark so that he can come back in with the bench players, you know, to start to end the first quarter and start the second. And Devin Harris has been playing much, much better, um, and they're not just shooting the ball better, which he is. Tonight, three of six from the three-point line, which I think Nuggets fans will gladly take, 14 points, I believe his highest as a Nugget so far, tied for his highest, five assists, and um, but the Nuggets got him on the move tonight. And one of the things I talked about yesterday was that Devin Harris is super quick, as old as he is, and is kind of like he's not he he's not um he used to be super skinny. Now he's he's a little less skinny than he used to be back in the day. But um, he still moves. He's still quick. And even relative to guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, like he's got this very quick kind of bur- like short burst for him when he's just driving from the three point line to the basket. He's He's quicker than I think anybody the Nuggets have on their roster, interestingly enough. And um, he had a couple of just opportunities tonight to catch and, and go on the move, and I thought uh, I, I thought he looked really, really good. He also had a steal and a block shot. Devin Harris, the beast, with a block shot tonight in the, in the game. I also think the other person I wanted to mention here was Mason Plumley because, you know, his stats don't jump off of the page. He played 19 minutes, uh, scored 20, uh, I'm sorry, scored four points, grabbed three rebounds and assists. But I actually thought he was really good tonight. And I was surprised when I looked at the, the stat sheet to see, you know, he didn't really fill it up. But I thought defensively he made a bunch of, of really nice plays. And I, I just thought this was one of his stronger um, games recently. So, um you know, I thought he deserved a, a a note. There was um one moment. If there's one negative to take from this game, I think there's two actually. Two moments you kind of look at. 
Chicago is so bad that <clears throat> I think you have to, you know, you have to grade on a scale. And the Nuggets did what they were supposed to do. They took care of business against a really shitty team. And um, and on paper, at least, I think it looks like okay, there, you know, every, everything was positive. And I think that's true. But there was two moments. One to open the third quarter. Malone actually had to call a timeout. He gave them to his credit. I I talk about Malone and his sort of over calling timeouts too quickly in, in games this was one where clearly the nuggets were up by so much but malone gave them like five minutes to kind of get out of this funk and find a sense of urgency and the nuggets just couldn't do it uh, for whatever reason this team just takes their foot off the gas pedal every time they build up a lead it's to the point where i almost worry when the nuggets get up like 15 points because you think oh god their worst basketball is now about to when most teams can just put them away and step on their throats the nuggets for whatever reason get complacent and the starters of all groups to start that third quarter i thought just looked lethargic and um there was one point where they had five straight turnovers that was actually in the second quarter five straight turnovers um and then when you talk about coming out flat in that third it's just frustrating to see the nuggets get complacent there it's human nature i get it but at this point in the season with how important games are and and i never felt like oh god the the bulls are about to go on a run i never felt like that in this game but you'd like to see them get off the court early you'd like to see the starters come out in the third quarter put another like you know outscore the bulls by another five points in the opening couple of minutes and then you can say okay now we're going to our bench for the final 18 minutes of the game and and you guys can get a rest they they didn't necessarily play awful but they did get a little bit complacent um and those were the two moments the five turnover and the start of the third that i kind of looked to to say um all right, well, that was that was, uh, that was was less than ideal. But nonetheless, the Nuggets still get the big win. They needed it. All of your key players played very, very few minutes. I don't think anybody played more than 30 minutes. Jamal Murray played 29 minutes. But, uh, you know, Paul Millsap, 26. Will Barton, 25. Jokic, just 24. Um, so you got rest where you needed rest, and, and, and that was great. To wrap up, I wanted to talk about a couple of quick notes. One, um, there was a story about Will Barton today on Altitude by Christopher Dempsey and about how he wants to remain with the Nuggets. Now, I have to advise, anytime there's these types of quotes, <clears throat> you know, it's notable if a player won't say something like that, but when they do say it, it doesn't mean, oh, he's going to take a big sacrifice to come back to Denver or anything like that. It just means that he would like to, if the opportunity presented himself and he was and it was the best situation for him financially and everything else he would like to kind of finish what he started and I love Will Bart you guys know that I I rave about him on this show so much he's always brings these great quotes and I do believe for him you know he he was given his first chance here um, I know for a fact when he was not drafted in the first round, he's a projected like 28th pick but he ended up going um, much deeper than that in the uh, second round and it crushed him because I think in his mind he saw himself as a rotation NBA player, which he is. He sees himself as a starter, quite frankly. And then in Portland, you know, they just had a good team and a good thing going, and they just didn't need him. They, he was in a situation kind of like Malik Beasley where he just he was behind guys that were more established and, quite frankly, better, and it just was a bad fit for him. So when he got to Denver and got his opportunity, I think it really did mean a lot to him that this was the place that gave him a shot. You know, think about Malik Beasley going through two years, and if next year, same thing, he's just not playing. And then he goes to a rebuilding team where he actually gets minutes, and not only does he get minutes, but he actually that's where he gets to hang in the NBA. I mean, it's so big to Will Barton because, quite frankly, 
it's not unthinkable to think an alternate universe where he doesn't get traded to Denver and he falls out of the league just not because he wasn't good enough because he just never got his chance and so for Will Barton I truly believe that he kind of sees Denver as the special place and then on top of that you know he's I think 27 years old or something like that so 28 maybe he's he's not as young as as everybody else on this roster but I think he's a bit young at heart because his career was delayed so long two years at Memphis three years at Portland sitting on the bench and so in many ways, he kind of I'm sure he kind of feels like a fourth or fifth year player. Um, and, and he's also been a part of this Nuggets ascension. He actually arrived in the Brian Shaw era, which is crazy to think. Um, but he, he arrived Gary Harris's rookie season to put that in perspective. And you just think about I'm sure he takes ownership of this Nuggets team and this path that they're on. And I'm sure he wants to see it. There's some part of him, at least, that wants to see it all the way through. There's like unfinished business here. No matter, even if the Nuggets make the playoffs, I think Barton is one of the guys that feels like this team is going somewhere. And I'm sure he wants to to be a part of it. So I think it's really cool. I think Nuggets fans always feel, you know, something they, they get the warm and fuzzies in the feels whenever they hear a player that says, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Um, just because so few in the past have said that and had that perspective and Will Barton's as real as they come so <clears throat> whatever you think about him as a player and I'm a fan I think uh, there's a lot of stuff he brings I know on yesterday's show I talked about you know the Nuggets might be looking to shake things up um, if they miss the playoffs maybe they try to bring in new blood and and he was the guy that because he's not signed it would be easiest for Nuggets to move on from him just you know that's not money they they have to spend but I think a guy that wants to be in Denver and, you know, Barton's a guy that when he fits, he really fits for for the Nuggets. And um, so I think it's cool. It makes for an interesting storyline. Lastly, I want to talk about this down the stretch now because there are 10 games left. The NBA season flies by so fast. It's actually depressing. I know the playoffs are this whole like two and a half, three month thing. So the, the NBA season doesn't actually end for quite a while, but the regular season just flies by every single year. And with 10 games left, uh, I think the Denver Nuggets have to go 8-2 and two down the stretch. That's what's in front of them. It's possible 8-2 and two won't get it done, but I think if I were a betting man, 8-2 and two would get it done. 7-3 and three maybe gets it done, maybe not, depending on what those three losses are. I think Denver has games against Minnesota, two games against Minnesota. I think a game against the Clippers and a game against... Yeah, the Portland one probably less to Oklahoma City. Those four games, Oklahoma City, Portland, and the two against or Oklahoma City, the two against Minnesota, and the one against the Clippers. I think those games are extra important um, for Denver's playoff odds and playoff hopes. But I think overall, eight and two is like the minimum they can do. And of course, this is the toughest like ten game stretch of the entire season, just in terms of opponents. You know, how good are the opponents? So I'm going to go through here. I think real quickly, I went through everybody's schedule and I just made a prediction on how many losses I think each team will get. I think the Clippers will lose five games if you count the Nuggets loss. And and I don't you know, that's the Nuggets will be underdogs in that game. But if you count that, I think the Clippers will lose five. The Nuggets are tied with them, so they could pass the Clippers if they lose four or fewer. The Spurs, I think, are going to lose four or five. They could lose six. But if I were a betting man, I would bet that they lose four or five. The nice thing is a lot of these teams play each other. So, like, you know, the Spurs are going to play the Pelicans and the Timberwolves and Utah. So, um, but I think I think they lose four or five games. And with Denver, three games, I believe, in the standings here. I should pull that up so I have the standings here. Um, you know, that means that the Nuggets would only be even with them. And I'm not sure if they have the tiebreaker or not against San Antonio. I'd have to check on that. So, again, eight and two beats 
what I, I project to be the Clippers probably ties. Yeah, that would tie um, the Spurs. Utah, I think, only loses three or four. And the fact that they are um, two games ahead, if they lost four, the Nuggets go eight and two. I think they pass Utah. Minnesota, I think, is only going to lose two more games. Their schedule is just so easy. They play so many tanking teams. Denver, if you know, I kind of went one and one with Denver splitting against Minnesota, but Denver can certainly up that if they win both of those games. Minnesota is two games ahead of Nuggets in the loss column. So uh, if Denver goes eight and two and Minnesota loses three, including the two to the Denver, then Denver can pass them. I think the Pelicans will lose four or five. Um, the Pelicans are now three games up, so if they lose five, Denver loses two, they become tied, and I think the Pelicans, I actually I don't know who has that tiebreaker. And then lastly, the Thunder, who I think lose four or five. Now let's go through the schedule here and talk about easiest to toughest, just so you get a feel, a sense for how difficult this road is for the Nuggets. The easiest game on their schedule, in my opinion, is a home game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the fourth or fifth to last game of the of the season. The Minnesota's 2-0 against Denver, including a win at Pepsi Center already. So, yeah, April 5th. So a home game against Minnesota as the easiest one, um, you know, just shows you how tough it is. Um, but I do think Denver can get that one, especially if all the marbles are on the line. If they make it to April 5th and they're still in the playoff hunt and it's still realistic for them to make it, I mean, I'm curious to see. Part of me, want reason I want Denver to, to battle, obviously all these selfish reasons, but... I just want to see what they look like in games like that. Home against Minnesota in a do-or-die situation. I just wonder what Denver responds like. The second easiest game on the schedule, in my opinion, is Milwaukee at home. Denver has played well against Milwaukee, especially Nikola Jokic. Uh, they just seem to play into Denver's hands. Milwaukee hasn't been great over the last month. And, again, it's a home game. Um, that one's a Sunday game as well, so you kind of get a weekend crowd. Indiana at home. <laughs> Indiana is a darn good basketball team. Um, and that's a Tuesday night home game. That's just calling that one easy is strange to me. The next one at Minnesota. This is the last game of the year. The only reason I put it there, it's the last game of the year. There's a chance Minnesota's not playing for anything. There's a chance Jimmy Butler's not there. There's a chance it means all the marbles to for the Nuggets. But the fourth easiest game is a road game against the team you're 0-2 against on the season division opponent. Just insane. At Washington, which is Friday's game, I think is like the most easy average game of the 10 like that's like right in the middle at, at Washington that's the middle of a long road trip so Denver's probably getting road weary at the point at, at this point um, Washington a good team Gary Harris not back yet um, that one's going to be tough at the Clippers stiffs night out I should remind you April 7th if the Nuggets are still in the hunt um, for the playoffs this is going to be an absolute incredible game and I should tell you so stiffs night out at the at the Celtic on market on Saturday April 7th I think it's like a 130 game or something like that's a day game it's actually opening weekend for the Rockies that that weekend and they have a six o'clock game so if you're planning a great super weekend, um, I would highly advise you. First of all, Stiff's Night Out would be great. If they're still in the hunt, that's going to be an emotionally charged game. If they're still in the playoff hunt, I think Altitude TV and radio is sending a crew, and they're going to like cut live to the um, to the game. Again, only if the Nuggets are still in a playoff hunt. If there's not, then, then we're attending a funeral. But again, if they're not in the playoffs then it's going to be a cathartic opportunity for us all to go drink together and, and lament uh, a Nug Life season, which, again, I'll, I'll be there one way or another. Hopefully you guys will as well. It'll just change the atmosphere. It'll be more of a, uh, like I said, a funeral. But either way, a one thirty tip-off, 
it'd be that's like a great day. I'll probably end up going to the Rockies game immediately after with my wife. So it'll be a great opportunity to head downtown, have some food, have some drinks, watch the Nuggets, then go watch the Rockies and just have a super sports day. Um, but the Clipper, that Clippers game, I think is going to be really, really tough because the Clippers probably still in the playoff hunt as well. At Oklahoma City, that's game seven of a seven-game road trip. It's against the Thunder, who have kind of figured things out and are starting to play really, really well. Um, then the home game against – this is the three toughest games on the schedule. Portland at home. Guys, I'm already dreading this. I'm not going to lie. Monday, April 9th, hopefully the Nuggets are still in the playoff hunt. Portland will probably still be fighting for home court advantage in the first round. Um, this will be a big game. I think it's tough because Portland is really, really good right now. They just they they almost beat uh, the Rockets the other day, who nobody beats. Um, that's how good they are. But on top of that, you know, there's going to be some extra emotion. I I'm sure from one Yusef Nurkic trying to send the Nuggets home for the second straight year with a have a nice summer. So there'll be some emotionally charged feelings in that game, and it could be an elimination game. That'll be tough. I think at Philadelphia on Sunday is the second toughest game. Philadelphia just so good. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. We only saw them play against each other one time before, I believe. And Jokic put up 14 points in the first quarter before getting in foul trouble. Part of what makes this game so tough is Jokic guard Embiid, does he pick up foul trouble? And what does Denver do if they don't have Gary Harris or Nikola Jokic in that type of game? And then the toughest game on the schedule at Toronto on a second night of a back-to-back. They play Philly, and then they play Toronto um, on the road. So you got travel in between and all that. That's just I think that Toronto game is as close to a no chance the Nuggets have of winning that game. So when I say 8-2, and two, the easiest game on this schedule is the Minnesota Timberwolves. The easiest. Um, Toronto is almost a game they'll probably have like a 10% chance of winning just overall. That means the Nuggets, you know, when you look at two losses or fewer, going to be awfully tough. But you know what? I'll leave you with this. If you recall, when the, the Colorado Rockies made it into the World Series that year, special, really special year, I think they had to win, like, I can't remember how many games in a row just to make it into the wild card, into the playoffs, and they ended up just going on this incredible run, and they all just clicked and got together and it really was one of the coolest moments, I think, like unexpected moments in Colorado sports history. And I don't want to jinx it and say the Nuggets are going to do that, but if if they are to make the playoffs, it's going to take that level of magic, that type of mile-high magic. So while all of us have kind of been moping around, and I've been reading the tweets and seeing Reddit and the stiff comments, I've been seeing what everybody has to say and how much negativity there is but if there's one kind of thing to kind of supercharge you as we head into the weekend and head to the final 10 games of the season is a little bit of mile high magic would really make for an incredible story we'll see if there's anything uh, the nuggets team can do to kind of make that happen thanks so much for tuning in guys i will be back tomorrow with the return of the weekend summit it's been like a month maybe maybe two months since we've had a weekend summit very excited for that so look forward to that and i'll see you then Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.